Hello, I'm John Dennis. It's Tuesday the 17th of November. Today, voters think the Tory leader David Cameron would be tougher, more decisive and more internationally respected than Gordon Brown. That's according to a new ICM poll for The Guardian. Labour has a lot of hope in Gordon Brown being perhaps not somebody people like, not someone you want to go on holiday with, but someone you trust to make the right decisions. Well, if that's the strategy, it might not work. Also today, Sarah Palin, who many believe hopes to become a Republican presidential candidate, has been promoting her new memoir on Oprah. It seemed like she was discovering this uh, nomadic tribe, a member of a tribe from some Neanderthal cave in Alaska. And Guardian columnist Tanya Gold on Belle de Jour, the prostitute who blogged anonymously about being a London call girl, but whose identity has now been revealed. I don't like calling her Belle de Jour. I don't like these pretty sanitised monikers that make it sound as if prostitution is, is no more dangerous than going into Catechiston and buying a floral rug. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk But first, Bill Overton's got the news headlines. Gordon Brown hopes we'll soon be able to plan pulling our soldiers out of Afghanistan. In a speech to the City of London, the Prime Minister said half al-Qaeda's leadership has now been killed. He wants an international conference in January to discuss plans for withdrawal and beginning the process of handing over security to the Afghans themselves. But in the latest Guardian poll carried out by ICM, more British voters think David Cameron is a tougher and more decisive leader than Gordon Brown. Labour is, though, beginning to close the gap on the Conservatives, but with 42% of support to Labour's 29%, the Tories would still get an overall majority in an election. In China, Barack Obama's been having talks with his opposite number, Hu Jintao. Obama thanked China for helping to deal with the recession. China's president said both countries must push for free trade. They both said they hope to cooperate in setting firm commitments to combat global warming at the Copenhagen conference. Children as young as 10 years old are being moved around the country to be exploited by paedophiles, according to Bernardo's. The charity claims it's been called in by several local authorities to investigate and has always found cases of sexual exploitation. The report says gangs of men are running the system and taking children away from their families or care homes. A whole town in Wiltshire is to be given free connection to the internet. The council in Swindon's decided to spend a million pounds to install a Wi-Fi mesh across the town. It'll mean setting up 1,400 access points. Now the morning front pages. Our paper and The Telegraph report the PM's annual foreign policy speech. Brown hopes to fix Afghan pullout date. That's The Guardian headline. While The Telegraph says Brown to seek timetable to bring troops home. The Times also looking at Afghanistan with a report on a new field manual published for the army. The headline reads, Army tells its soldiers to bribe the Taliban. The paper says commanders should negotiate with insurgent leaders with blood on their hands and try to buy them off with bags of gold. The Telegraph leads with a claim of £600,000 handout for terror suspects. It says some of Britain's most dangerous suspected terrorists being kept at home under control orders have been paid the money for their living costs. The Mail is furious. Petrol's gone up by 26% in one year. It says it'll reach 110 pence a litre by Christmas. That's the equivalent to £5 a gallon, even though international oil prices have fallen and blames it on speculators stockpiling oil. On the sports pages, most papers focus on football stories, but our motor racing correspondent has an exclusive claiming world champion Jensen Button will join his predecessor, Lewis Hamilton, in the McLaren team. He understands Button's agreed terms to sign a £6 million a year deal. So the hope is of a British dream team with the two champions competing on equal terms in the same cars. There's more news and sport throughout the day at guardian.co.uk.
A Guardian ICM poll today puts support for the Conservatives at 42%, with Labour on 29 and the Lib Dems on 19. Our chief leader writer Julian Glover says on the face of it, that's good news for Labour. Definitely a bit of good news. The gap between the two main parties is closed. It's now 13 points. So it's sort of terrible rather than catastrophic because it was 17 we had last month. And Labour's up to 29%, which isn't great. A few years ago would have really worried Labour, but it's better than they've had in any ICM poll since April. And the Tories on 42, well, that's down two on our last poll, unchanged on another poll that ICM did more recently. So it's OK for them, not spectacular. But still, a 13-point lead would give the Tories a majority, probably a majority of more than 50 So Labour shouldn't be too happy. And especially not when they see what voters have to say about Gordon Brown. Yeah, this is always a tricky area to do polling on because you're asking about subjective opinions, not not what are you going to do, but how do you feel? And of course, people always don't always have the answers to those questions. But nonetheless, I think character is one of the key tests for the next election. We're we're getting into sort of pre-election mode now. And Labour has a lot of hope in Gordon Brown being perhaps not somebody people like, not someone you want to go on holiday with, but someone you trust to make the right decisions. So when banks go wrong, you know, they think he's the man for the job. And voters think David Cameron's a bit of a lightweight. You know, you probably would like to go on holiday with him, but you wouldn't want him to bail out your bank. Well, if that's the strategy, it might not work, because what the poll shows is that Cameron is actually seen as decisive, trusted. Um, they think People think he'll be internationally respected. And they think Gordon Brown isn't any of those things. So Cameron has a strong lead, 10, 11 points um, on all of the character questions we asked, except for one, more spin than substance. Cameron's seen as slightly more spin than substance, even more than Gordon Brown, but pretty much equal for both leaders on that. So voters don't trust either leader. And on perhaps the key thing that Cameron's been about as Tory leader, changing your party for the better, um, Cameron has a 33-point lead over Labour, over Gordon Brown on that. So people do think, even if they don't like David Cameron, they think he's made a difference to the Tories, made it for the better. Um, they don't see that of Gordon Brown. Now, last week, Julian, David Cameron came to the Guardian's HQ and made a speech about poverty and inequality, uh, subjects close to the hearts of many traditional Labour supporters. What do voters think about the Tories' plans to tackle the most uh, disadvantaged members of society? Well, what this may just show is that there aren't very many Labour voters left, or, or fewer than there used to be. But, but by one point, the Tories are seen as the party most likely to help people who are poor and get them out of poverty more than Labour. Now, Labour's always seen that as its really defining mission, um, and they think the Tories are a party of fat cats who probably want to make people poorer, make them work harder. Um, well, voters don't quite look like that. They, they, they're beginning to doubt Labour's ability to help the poor. They're beginning to be interested in the Tory one. And uh, it's the Queen's speech tomorrow, Labour laying out its programme for, for the next Parliament. Um, is there anything going to be anything in, in that that might turn around Gordon Brown's fortunes? One of the things that this sort of speech will do, and maybe the pre-budget report, because we've got these two big political events, and if neither of those works for Gordon Brown, if they don't change the polls around, if we don't have better figures um, even than today, and of course it has closed today, we must remember that, um, by the end of the year, then I think he's in real trouble. What they want to do in the Queen's speech is define Labour as a party of tackling bankers, Conservatives as a party of bankers, so they want to put forward a law to try and tackle bankers' bonuses, and maybe the Tories won't be able to vote for it if it gets into Parliament in time. And that would really leave the Tories looking like the party of the rich, rich and not the poor. Nonetheless, I think the real message from, from Downing Street is that they want to challenge Cameron on experience and character more than put forward a huge programme of their own. And at the moment, they're not getting there. Julian Glover, and there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Also on The Guardian's website today. Hi, my name's Sarah Crown. I'm the editor of guardian.co.uk slash books. And today on the books website, we are starting off our quest to find our readers' books of the decade. 
looking for books from the year 2000. My favourite was Lorna Sage's Bad Blood and we want to know what yours were. Um, we also have a gallery of Edward Lear's Egyptian sketches. Everyone knows Edward Lear as the author of The Owl and the Pussycat, but he was also a very accomplished painter and made these beautiful watercolour sketches going down the Nile. So you can come and look at those online. And finally, today is a big day in the books world um, as it sees the publication of the original of Laura, the novel that Nabokov didn't want to see published. Um, so we have a podcast discussion hosted by Claire Armistead with me and the editor of the book. Alexis Kirschbaum. All of that at guardian.co.uk slash books. Millions of Americans tuned in to Oprah Winfrey's TV show last night. Her guest was Sarah Palin, widely expected to run for president in 2012. Her memoir, Going Rogue, is published today. And it's the former Alaska governor's own account of her campaign last year to be elected vice president as Senator John McCain's running mate. Let's talk about the interview with Katie Couric. <laughs> Must we? People only know me from that interview. I don't blame people for thinking that I was not qualified, that I was ill-prepared. To me, it was in the context of, do you read? How do you stay informed? You're way up there. It seemed like she was discovering this uh, nomadic tribe, a member of a tribe from some Neanderthal cave in Alaska, asking me, how do you stay in, in touch with the real world? That's how I, I took the question, so I kind of... Well, didn't kind of. I did. I rolled my eyes and, and was annoyed with the question and thought, you know, I think that this is a problem with the state of journalism today is no matter what I say to her, it will probably be twisted, perceived okay. as, as a bit negative. In New York is The Guardian's Ed Pilkington. It's an event that people have been waiting for with bated breath because the last time she went on network television to be interviewed by Katie Couric during the presidential race, it turned out to be a disaster. In fact, she admitted as much to Oprah, saying she had thought it had gone very badly. This time, though, it's fair to say, Palin came off top. She was relaxed, at ease. She presented herself as a caring mother and a loving wife. She made none of the slip-ups for which she became famous last November. Winfrey began by questioning Palin about her relationship with the camp of John McCain, the Republican presidential candidate, who picked her out of relative obscurity in Alaska to be his running mate. She was pretty tough on them, not on McCain himself, but on his advisers, who she said had prevented her being herself, and even tried to dictate what food she ate on the campaign trail. Of all things to worry about, while the McCain campaign numbers, we were, we were kind of tanking uh, President Obama. They were soaring. There were a lot of things that we should have been worried about. Uh, what I don't think we should have spent a lot of time on was uh, what, what I eat. Much of the rest of the interview was of a more personal nature, as you might expect from Oprah. They talked at length about Levi Johnson, Palin's once almost son-in-law, and now Bette Noir who is doing the rounds criticising her to the media. She gave the impression that she was still very open to him being part of her family, but regretted what she called his aspiring porn activities. Last week, he posed nude for Playgirl. And by the way, I don't know if we call him Levi, I, I hear he goes by the name Ricky Hollywood now. So if, he, if, if, if that's the case, we don't want to mess up this gig he's got going. Kind of this aspiring, aspiring porn, some of the things that he's doing. It's kind of heartbreaking. The Playgirl Centerfold. Right. It's, yeah. I call that porn. Yes. The show included a few minutes of footage filmed from Palin's home in Wasilla, the tiny town in Alaska in which she used to be mayor. She was shown going to the gym, 
sitting on the floor with her son Trig playing with him and making toffee apples. Trigby, Trigby, look, you want to stay home with Daddy, or you want to go with me? He's so cool. He chills and just gets along with everybody, and just cracks us up. There's a lot of equality in our marriage. We don't bicker and fight over who's going to do the dishes or pick up a kid or do what needs to be done. We both just pick up and get the work done, and it's a great partnership at the same time. It is, it is a very strong marriage. Very thankful for him. I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 2012, but... Uh, would you, you answer this question? Have you thought about running for president of the United States in 2012? That Have is, you just thought about it? That, it's not on my radar screen right now. As Was it I, ever? Was it ever? As I am dealing with so many issues that are important. <laughs> and um, Oprah, what I am finding, clearer and clearer every day what I'm seeing is you don't need a title to make a difference. But if she is, if that's what Palin's up to, getting ready to run for the presidency in 2012, last night on the Oprah Winfrey Show was a very good start at the beginning of a crucial week. Ed Pilkington. Well, the man who may stop Sarah Palin reaching the White House, Barack Obama, is making his first visit to China as president. In a public meeting with students in Shanghai, he praised freedom of expression and criticised censorship. But President Obama stopped short of criticising the regime's human rights record. Tanya Brannigan is in Beijing. Well, he came in with a huge entourage, as usual with these events. It's one of the longest motorcades I think I've ever seen. I was watching out of my window. Um, but of course, what people were really watching was his town hall event in Shanghai, which is his only meeting with the Chinese public scheduled for this visit. Uh, and he spoke to students there and broadly got fairly positive reactions, uh, a little bit mixed. The things that really stood out were, of course, his criticism of Internet censorship in China. Uh, and he did also talk about political freedoms, freedom of expression and political participation, and talked about why the US regarded those as universal rights. They should be available to all people, including ethnic and religious minorities, whether they are in the United States, China, or any nation. The more freely information flows, the stronger the society becomes. Because then citizens of countries around the world can hold their own governments accountable. But there was some disappointment at what Barack Obama did not say. Well, he was certainly much less explicit about human rights in China than, for example, Bill Clinton was when he talked to students in Beijing or uh, when George Bush was here. In both cases, uh, they spoke about the progress China had made and praised some of the improvements China had made, but they did also raise concerns more explicitly. Barack Obama really didn't do that. The most pointed criticism he did make uh, was about the internet. And even then, some, someone pointed out, he said, I'm a big supporter of non-censorship rather than saying I oppose censorship. Now, perhaps that's a small point, but in many ways that reflected the sort of the tone of his remarks. I'm a big supporter of non-censorship. And I have a lot of critics in the United States who can say all kinds of things about me. I actually think that that makes our democracy stronger. As China's economic power and, and cultural influence increases, how does China regard America? 
the, the People's Daily, which is the Communist Party sort of official newspaper, uh, has suggested in advance of this visit that America and China are really like conjoined twins and that it's not possible to separate them uh, without both sides being injured. And that really does reflect the sort of interdependence of the two countries. But there's quite a lot of caution here. I mean, that commentary then went on to be very critical of America on trade policy, for example. And there's a feeling that America can be a bit of a bully, that people don't trust the states, that they're worried that it's uh, going, throwing its weight around, whether that be with regard to its values, uh, to the way it conducts trade and economic policy. The thing that's really shifted, of course, is the balance of power. And now there's a sense that perhaps China has more of an opportunity to put its views forward. It can be heard. A lot of these meetings, we expect the Chinese will talk about their concerns about the US deficit, for example. The Chinese hold huge amounts of uh, US dollar holdings. They've got a vast amount of treasury bonds, and they're worried that they they won't hold their value if the uh, US government keeps on running up its deficit. So it's a much more two-way conversation, in a sense, than perhaps it's been before. Tanya Brannigan. My name's John Dennis. Still to come on Guardian Daily, the film director Ang Lee on what inspires him to make movies. When things are awkward, there's a conflict, there's a drama, and it's the best way to reveal humanity. But first, the blog Belle de Jour, Diary of a London Call Girl, became a best-selling book and then a TV drama series starring Billy Piper. I've had a word with Belle and she's prepared to reconsider, obviously on her own terms. One hour... £5,000. <laughs> well, now, after years of anonymity, the author's identity has been revealed. After hearing she was about to be exposed by the Daily Mail, the Bristol-based research scientist Dr Brooke Magnanti told the Sunday Times how she used the proceeds of her secret life to fund her PhD studies. Guardian columnist Tanya Gold says Belle de Jour is part of a wider sanitisation of prostitution. I don't like calling her Belle de Jour. I don't like these pretty sanitised monikers that make it sound as if prostitution is is no more dangerous than going into Cat Kidston and buying a floral rug. She absolutely was incredibly lucky. I'm amazed by how lucky she was. Last night, I was reading a 2003 report in which 854 prostitutes from nine countries around the world were interviewed. The statistics are quite devastating. It found that between 70% and 95% of the prostitutes had been physically beaten. Between 60% and 75% had been raped, and of these, more than half had been repeatedly raped. So I think that Dr. Magnanti was incredibly lucky. And I really hope that we don't take away from her story, you know, with the pretty name Belle Jour and the glamorized television adaptation of her adventure starring Billy Piper. The prostitution is not a dangerous game. It is a dangerous game and it kills women. What should politicians do about prostitution? Well, um, I remember reading yesterday that it's not a vote winner either way for politicians and what they really like to do is just stare at their feet and hope that it will go away. I mean, some countries are experimenting with licensing and with um, legalization. And, And the argument for this is that women will be safer if it's licensed, if it's regulated, um, and we'll somehow live in a sort of safe, pretty fantasy world where uh, everyone is happy. Unfortunately, the evidence doesn't support the fact that um, women are free 
from beatings and from violence and from illness if prostitution is legal. The only thing we know for a fact about the countries where it has been legalized, which is uh, New Zealand, the Netherlands and parts of Australia, is that the number of prostitutes goes up dramatically. Tanya, many thanks. Taking Woodstock, the new film by Ang Lee, director of Brokeback Mountain and the Ice Storm, is about peace and love at the seminal 1969 music festival. He told Film Weekly's Jason Solomons how sexual repression drives his filmmaking. Ironically, I grew up in a kind of culture that was prohibited. Maybe that's why it's so attractive to me. I was very repressed and... Um, in that way. I was very righteous in behavior and very subdued in uh, linguistic. Like, we didn't have much language to talk about sexuality as I grew up. So maybe my rebellious um, age, uh, coming of age, come much later. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it finally shows up uh, in in my uh, filmic uh, career. I think sexuality, growing up as as a Chinese person, it's something very much in the mind, like everybody in the world. But we don't have much communication. And as a dramatist, I just like that awkwardness. Whichever way I found awkwardness, Mm. I I go for it. Because when things are awkward, there's a conflict, there's a drama. And it's the best way to to reveal humanity, because we're grabbing the, the balance, something revealed that we mm-hmm. can examine, uh, we can see in humanity. Uh, without embarrassment, people are in, in control. There, you know, there's not much to gaze upon. It's all fake. Mm. So to get into the truth, uh, embarrassment, sexuality, or repression of sexuality is something very useful for me. Yeah. Are you an awkward, are you awkward, would you, would you say? Huh? Would, are you awkward? Would you say? When it comes to sexuality, yeah, it's awkward. Um, that's why I like it in making a movie. In life, I just repress it. Uh, uh, and you can deal uh, with it. Yeah, and just deal with it, with repression. <laughs> <laughs> Ang Lee talking to Jason Solomons, and you can see a video of that, a longer version of that interview, at guardian.co.uk slash film. Today's edition of Guardian Daily was produced by Phil Maynard, Andy Duckworth, Raina Miller and Tim Maybe. I'm John Dennis. Thank you for listening.